you found a message that was delivered at Living Streams Community Church in McCordsville, Indiana. We are praying the time you invest hearing God's Word encourages you in your walk with Jesus and inspires you to share Him with others. If you want to learn more about us or send us a prayer request, visit our website, livingstreamscc.org. Thank you for listening. Well, take your Bibles and turn to Matthew chapter 5. We're going to look at verses 21 to 30 this morning. Back in uh, the beginning of June, we started into the greatest sermon that was ever preached by the greatest preacher that was ever, ever lived, the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew chapter 5, 6, and 7. Uh, you know, I, our world is in, in great need of light, the kind of light that God shines through His people. And the Sermon on the Mount has a lot of instructions on uh, telling us how to keep shining for the kingdom of God. Have you ever uh, waxed a car by hand? Yeah. First service, uh, they groaned when I said that. You know, I think I've only done that once or twice in my lifetime because it's just so much easier to run it through the car wash, you know, and get the works and you come out looking pretty good and, you know, drive down on the road. But let's just say for grins today, you're going to go home and you're going to wax your car by hand. So probably first you'd wash it, you know, and get it nice and clean and then you'd let it dry. And while it's drying, you'd grab that bottle of car wax and start reading the instructions. And it would tell you to find a clean, soft cotton cloth, and then to take the wax and start applying it to the car in small circles. And then, you know, you're going all over the car making small circles, and, and then you're letting it dry and you're checking the instructions again, and it tells you to get another, another clean, soft cotton cloth and let that be the, the work of buffing out a, a new shine that looks like it just came off the showroom floor, you know. It, it, it is a lot of hard work. And then, of course, at the end of all that, you look back at the instructions, and at the bottom it says, repeat as necessary. Well, you know, Jesus is getting ready to give us some really challenging instructions. And if you're serious about following him, you might have the tendency to to break out the pen and paper and to start making a to-do list on things to begin to work on in your life, things that he wants us to do. So you'll, you'll kind of you'll go get that clean, soft cotton cloth, and you'll you'll begin to take the wax of God's word and start applying that in your life, trying to buff out a shine of something that looks like what Jesus is talking about, and then you'll repeat as necessary, and it, it will be necessary. But we're going to find out that there's another way. Uh, to live your Christian life. There's a different way to get a kingdom shine going in your life. The things that Jesus calls kingdom people to do can't really be done by working on the outward appearance of our life. It's all about what's going on on the inside of us. I mean, you can work really hard to make yourself look like someone that follows Jesus on the outside, but listen, it won't be a kingdom shine. And you need a kingdom shine because the world throws stuff at us there's stress, there's all this, all this stuff that comes at us that, that uh, will we'll we'll take our shine away if it's, if it's from us. So ultimately, this is about who we are and not about what we do. Uh, about the inside of us, not about the outside of us. As you read through the Sermon on the Mount, you hear about this impossible life 
for a man to live. But it, it is not impossible for God to live through a man. So the rest of chapter 5, Jesus is going to make six contrasts with the prevailing wisdom of his day that was being taught. Scribes and the Pharisees, they had this great reputation for being keepers of the law. Um, But in truth, what was going on was they were relaxing the commands of the law. They looked good on the outside, but on the inside was another story. So Jesus is getting ready to give practical applications for how your righteousness should exceed that of the scribes and the Pharisees. I titled today's message... Uh, pursuing a kingdom of shine. Let's read these verses in Matthew 5, uh, verses 21 to 30. You have heard that it was said to those of old, you shall not murder, and whoever murders will be liable to judgment. But I say to you that everyone who is angry with his brother will be liable to judgment. Whoever insults his brother will be liable to the council, and whoever says you fool will be liable to the hell of fire. So if you're offering your gift at the altar and there, remember that your brother has something against you. Leave your gift there before the altar and go. First be reconciled to your brother and then come and offer your gift. Come to terms quickly with your accuser while you are going going with him to court, lest your accuser hand you over to the judge and the judge to the guard and you be put in prison. Truly I say to you, you will never get out until you have paid the last penny. You have heard that it was said, you shall not commit adultery. But I say to you that everyone who looks at a woman with lustful intent has already committed adultery with her in his heart. If your right eye causes you to sin, tear it out and throw it away. For it is better that you lose one of your members than that your whole body be thrown into hell. And if your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off and throw it away. For it is better that you lose one of your members than that your whole body go into hell. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we want to thank you for your word that um, we have here. What a treasure it is to be able to, to read that and hear Jesus' very words. Um, thank, thank, thank you for um, the, the freedom that we have to read this today. You know, places around the world, um, it's illegal to have this book. But we have it, Lord, and we want to be able to to uh, to live our lives um, by the way that you you call us to. So let our hearts be good soil for this seed today, and let it would bear good fruit in in our lives. I pray that uh, the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart would be pleasing in your sight, Lord, my Rock and my Redeemer. In Jesus' name, we pray. Amen. So if we want to pursue kingdom shine, we've got to pursue the elimination of anger from our lives. Jesus begins there in verse 21. You've heard that it was said to those of old, you shall not murder, and whoever murders will be liable to judgment. I think we could all agree with that, right? I mean, most everyone agrees with that all, all around the world. It goes back to the Ten Commandments, thou shalt not kill. So on the whole, I mean, it's hard to find someone who would disagree with that, right? Don't kill. It's not a good thing to be a murderer. Murdering, murdering someone is, is a good thing not to do. Don't aspire to be a murderer. That's what the scribes and the Pharisees were teaching. Don't murder. Have a murder-free life and you're good. But Jesus, he takes it to a, a higher place. Uh, or he goes to the inside. He goes, goes to the heart of what, uh, of what the law was talking about. Verse 22, But I say to you that everyone who's angry with his brother will be liable to judgment. 
Whoever insults his brother will be liable to the council, and whoever says you fool will be liable to the hell of fire. So according to that, then we need to be people who have eliminated anger and even disrespect for others, contempt for others in our lives. And Jesus makes being angry with someone equal to killing them there. I mean, just even the act of an insult is on this on the same level. So you're driving and you throw out a "you idiot," you know that that deserves to come before the highest court in Jerusalem. It deserves the worst punishment, the the fires of hell. So anger and insults are not misdemeanors in the kingdom of God. Well, what exactly is anger? Well, it's, it's an emotion that rises up within us when we get irritated with people or circumstances in in our lives. Now, all anger is not bad anger. I mean, we, we can get angry over situations in our lives and in our world as we as we look around, and sometimes that can be the catalyst, you know, that gets us moving to do something about it, to make it to make a difference in the world. And I think we can see that in our nation today as there's people who are angry over how some people of color are treated in our country. And that's a that's a good reason to be angry. That is it's not right. And then the problem we have is that when we get angry like that, we have trouble to know what to do. We, we aren't very good at putting righteous anger into righteous action. And I think we can see that in our nation today as well. Now, fairly regularly, when the topic of anger comes up, um, we're reminded that Jesus got angry. And um, you know, we, we, we look at him and we say, well, he was sinless, so since Jesus got angry, it's okay for us to get angry. We've got to remember that when Jesus got angry, it was always in right response to the situation of the person that he um, was with. He always had the proper focus, proper reaction, proper response when he got mad. He was always in control of anger. Anger never controlled Jesus. So if you're using Jesus' anger uh, as permission to sort of give yourself room to be upset with with other people, um, you got to remember he was the Son of God, and just because he can handle it doesn't mean that we should even try. Now Jesus is referring to anger that's between people here, you know, the the kind that if it goes unchecked, bad things happen, and someone can get killed. So if we're going to pursue a kingdom shine, we've got to be serious about eliminating anger toward others in our lives. So we got to go from the outside shine to the inside of us. So instead of allowing ourselves room to be upset with people in our hearts, a kingdom shine is going to come off of our lives when we start seeing other people the way that Jesus sees people. Because it's really hard to get mad at someone when you see them as more significant than yourself. It's really hard to get mad at someone when you've given up your right to be right. You know, when it's okay for us to not get our own way, then other people in our lives are free to get their own way and we don't get angry about it. This just eliminates a lot of anger. Even when you are someone where that anger is coming at you, you know, you don't res- you're not responding in like manner. You're not blowing up back at them. You know, you're, you're saying, hey, I'm sorry you're angry. Tell me what's going on. Help me understand what's going on. We're not just throwing rocks back at the other person. 
What if the secret to eliminating anger isn't found in an anger verse at all in the Bible, but in a verse, something like Philippians chapter 2, verses 3 and 4. That says, do nothing from rivalry or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. The heart of a person that is working to see that verse come alive in their life, and to see that is somebody that's trying to grow in humility, in gratitude, in service to others. So our prayers for this pursuit, for eliminating anger, our Lord, don't, it's not, Lord, help me not be angry. It's, Lord, help me to see other people like you see them and to respond to them like you do. Where anger doesn't be, doesn't even come up. I mean, can you imagine such a life? And you say, well, okay. I mean, that's great. This is like impossible, right? What do I do in the meantime? You know, as God is making me into this this new person. Yeah, well, there's there's help in in the Bible for for this as well. You know, when we get angry, when anger takes over, bad things always happen. You know, we, we will say something that we wish we didn't say. We will do something that we wish we hadn't done. And then there's pain, there's hurt, there's regret. Relationships get harmed. Some get destroyed. So it's always true that that is happening. So to try to keep that from happening, when keep anger from taking over in our life, we want to get into the habit of just calling a time out. I mean, it's pretty, it's, it's kind of, kind of a simple thing, and, but we see it all the time. You know, like in sporting events, we see it, or we used to see it, um, when we had sporting events. You know, when like a player gets angry, right, and they're wanting to fight, the coach calls them, calls the timeout, and puts them on the bench for a little bit. And they, and they're able to, to cool off. That's exactly what God tells us to do in Psalm 4 4. He says, don't sin by letting anger control you. Think about it overnight and remain silent. So he said, call a timeout. Get out of the situation. Go think about why you're angry. But that's not where it ends. We've got to get back, back in the game. Jesus kind of goes there in his next point in verses 23 and 24. He says, if you're offering your gift at the altar and there remember that your brother has something against you, leave your gift there before the altar and go. First be reconciled to your brother and then come and offer your gift. So Jesus is saying if you're in church and you, you remember you've got a problem with somebody or somebody has a problem with you, it's important enough for you to leave church and go and be reconciled. Go and seek reconciliation. Go and deal with what happened before you come and worship me. So he's saying, don't show me your love with your offering. Show it to me with your obedience. To love other people like you love yourself. So if your horizontal relationships with other people are not right, if you haven't done all you can do to mend things with other people, then your vertical relationship isn't going to be right. And you need to take care of it. So after some time on the bench, you got to get back in the game. you got to go deal with what happened with that anger and with the hurt because you got angry. So you can't just pretend that it didn't happen because it doesn't go away. Now, the win is when two people can reconcile after something has happened. And so you always should go for the win as a Christian. You should always go for reconciliation. But reconciliation takes two people. So, you know, you may not get there, but you can take the steps in your own life to do all you can do 
to seek that reconciliation where there's unity and harmony again in a relationship. So you always go for the win. And then Jesus keeps going in verses 25 and 26. He says, Come to terms quickly with your accuser while you are going with him to court, lest your accuser hand you over to the judge and the judge to the guard and you be put in prison. Truly I say to you, you will never get out until you have paid the last penny. So when things aren't right with someone in your life, there needs to be an urgency to take care of it. So it doesn't mean that you just have to lay down, you know, for your accuser. You don't have to be a spineless wimp. But what it does mean is that there's a really good possibility of a settlement with someone when anger is not involved in the conversation. And so he's referring here to a debtor's prison where you owe somebody some money and you have failed to pay it back. Um, so they threw you in jail until things got settled up. But when you're in jail, it's really hard to settle up. It's really hard to earn money. So the burden to settle up was on your family and friends. And it was just almost impossible. And that's exactly how unresolved anger works in your life. It's, it's a prison that's hard to get out of. Your, your unresolved anger puts a burden on your family and friends because they're trying to love you. And, and you're just a hard-hearted, bitter person. And it just colors your whole, your whole life. Ephesians 4.26 says, Don't let the sun go down while you are still angry, for anger gives a foothold to the devil. And so there's this urgency. The longer you stay angry, the greater hold that it has on you and the greater chance you're going to do something to someone or say something to someone that you're going to regret. Unresolved anger kind of goes underground in your life, you just sort of become known as an angry person. And people don't understand why. Um, they have a hard time uh, being, being around you, but it's controlling you. You think you've put it away, you think it's in the past, but the truth is you're just thinking about it all the time. And you can forget about being happy, you can forget about having peace when you've got that going on. Um, you're just this ugly person, and you come to church, try to take the wax of God's word, shine it on your life, but you're not dealing with that unresolved anger, that hurt that's in, in your heart, and it's got you right where it wants you. So Ephesians says, don't let the sun go down today on your anger, on your hurt. Don't let it go down today without dealing with it, because you've got to face the person that it happened with and try to make things right. And then there's another reason that it's urgent. It's the devil's playground. And when we are, we're stuck in the prison of unresolved anger, that is exactly where the devil wants us to be because there's no way to shine for God when we're like that. It colors our, our whole life. So the devil will work with you on staying in that prison, on giving you justification for your anger, on saying, yeah, you, you're, you're right to be mad. You know, they did this or they said that. You know, and, and they'll, they'll, uh, he'll keep giving you reasons to stay there. And, you know, why they need to make the first move. They're the one that hurt me. And so on and so on. So he is, he is uh, very delighted when we go around with unresolved anger in, in our life. <clears throat> he wants us to stay there. And <clears throat> I've, I've found out in, in my own life that as, as I have uh, gone through the, the steps of reconciliation, trying to seek reconciliation, with someone after something has happened, a conflict, we got angry, um, hurt, hurt happened. Um, that every time I go through that, it's a humbling experience. And God uses that very process uh, of seeking the win to make me look more like Him, making me more like a person that doesn't have anger in my life. Now, my family, 
especially my, my kids, um, are probably the ones that have received most of my wrath, you know. And uh, so I've had to go back to them uh, more often uh, than anyone else. And uh, in first service, Maisie was here, and I had to, I had to go back to her and, and say the words again. Because she's sitting back there, and I'm preaching this, and she's just like, uh-huh. Yeah, that's not how it really is. You know, but I said, I'm sorry. Please forgive me. I really do love you. And uh, she, you know, said, I love you too. So it was, it was good. But you know, every time you go through that, it's a humbling experience. And it, it just, it makes you more like Jesus. And it, you see others better than yourself. And you want to be the kind of servant that he was. Um, so we go through that. So, I, I mean, can you just imagine a life without anger? Imagine a world without it. Wow. I know that it's impossible, but it's only impossible with man. With God, all things are possible. And this is where Jesus is going to take you. If you want to follow him, he's going to take you this way. As you submit to him in your life, he will take you down this road of seeing others as more significant than yourselves. Um, And then while you're the work in progress, you know, as as you feel that anger rising up and you're like, I'm going to say something, just call time out. Get on the bench. Go sit down for a while. Think about why you're angry. Work, work through it, and then get back in the game. Go to back to the person. It's hard work. It's, it's humiliating sometimes, humbling, but it's good work. So you got to say you're sorry. Ask for forgiveness. Forgive as the Lord forgave you, and then forget about it and move on. And that's how you do it. Over time, you'll find there's less anger in your life and more of a kingdom shine that gets people's attention. Now Jesus bounces. To another big ugly in our lives. And that is adultery. If we're going to pursue a kingdom shine, we want to pursue eradicating adultery from our life. You have heard it said, Jesus says, you shall not commit adultery. Adultery is when you have sex with someone that you're not married to. And so around the world, again, it's considered a pretty serious offense that when uh, you give yourself to someone uh, and you're and you're already promised to someone else. That's that's a pretty bad thing to do. And even in our sin sick society that celebrates sexual freedom, when two people are getting married and they're making their promises to each other, they don't leave the church uh, thinking, you know, I'm going to go have an affair. They don't want to break their marriage vows by being unfaithful to their spouse. So you know, don't commit adultery. That's a that's a good thing. Most people, almost everyone, would agree with that. Scribes and the Pharisees would. Definitely agree with that. Don't sleep around, don't kill people, and you're good. Jesus, again, he moves away from the letter of the law to the heart of the law in verse 28. But I say to you that everyone who looks at a woman with lustful intent has already committed adultery with her in his heart. So again, he's moving from the outside to the inside. Just because you don't sleep with her doesn't mean that you haven't committed offense against God and against the one you're thinking about. So when we are creating fantasies in our mind's eye, it's not just staying in our mind. Something's going on in our hearts. And so this doesn't condemn sexual desire. You know, sexual desire is given to us by God. We're created with that. Now, it's broken just like the rest of us. You know, when, we, when we're born, we're broken sinners. And um, we're, when we're saved, we're being redeemed. We're being sanctified. So we're in the, in the process of becoming new. Um, but uh, sexual desire is a good thing. God created us with it, and he also gave us the way to channel that energy in our life. 
He also is not condemning being tempted sexually in our life. So when you're tempted sexually, you have not committed the sin of adultery. Uh, temptation is not a sin. And God gives us a way to get out of that temptation when we're under it, if we'll look for it and then take it when he shows it to us. So for men, looking is normal, but it's when you linger with your mind becomes the playground for lust. Think about what it would be like to have a sexual encounter with someone that's not your wife. For women, it's different. It's more about emotional intimacy than it is about physical intimacy. So if you're thinking about um, you know, what it would be like to have a different husband, you're committing emotional adultery. So it goes something a little bit like this. There's a story of two Buddhist monks, and they were walking in this torrential downpour. And they come up to the stream that had been swollen over its banks. And there's a young Japanese woman there in a kimono. She's, she's all wet, but she's beautiful. And, and she's trying to get across the stream, but she's afraid to cross it because of the currents. And so in uh, characteristic Buddhist compassion, one of the monks says, Can I help you? And she says, I want to get across the stream. And so he picks her up, puts her on his shoulders, and he carries her across this raging stream puts her down on the other side, and then they go their separate ways. The two monks go on to the, monast- to the monastery. But later on that night, the other monk comes to the guy and he says, Hey, I have a bone to pick with you. We, we Buddhists have taken a vow that we wouldn't even look upon a woman, let alone touch her body. And back at the river, you did both. And the monk says to him, Brother, on the other side of that river, I put her down. Are you still carrying her around in your mind? And that's kind of how it goes. Are you in the habit of carrying around someone else in your mind? Jesus tells us that, hey, something's also going on in your heart. He goes on in verses 29 to 30. If your right eye causes you to sin, tear it out and throw it away. For it is better that you lose one of your members than that your whole body be thrown into hell. And if your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off and throw it away. For it is better that you lose one of your members than your whole body goes into hell. So the measures Jesus is suggesting there aren't, aren't meant to be taken literally. But there is a message that he is sending to us by saying what he's saying. God is just as serious about what goes on in our hearts and our minds as he is about what we do with our bodies. And so we should be serious about it as well. So eradicating lust from our lives can really happen if we develop some strategies to defend against it and then surrender this fight with it to the Spirit of God. Now you can go home and do what Jesus says and get rid of stuff where you live that that leads you into sin. You know, Stop watching certain movies or get accountability software on your computer and on, on your phone. Do those things. Set up boundaries to help keep you away from the sin of lust. Be wise about it. Avoid situations that, that could cause you to be tempted and then, and then to sin. You know, when, you're, when your wife goes to bed, go to bed with her. Uh, those kinds of things. They're strategies. They just defend against lust. Uh, but you know what? You, you, if you're going to win it, you need more than just those strategies. Now begin to practice what Romans 6.11 says, counting yourself dead to sin. So when temptation rises up in your life, um, one of the things you want to do is just shout back at that temptation, I'm dead to that. Can, can, you, can you do it? 
Ready? I'm dead to that. It's amazing how that works. It is the Word of God. And it has power. But you know what? You need more than that. You need more than that. This isn't just about doing stuff to keep you from doing bad stuff. This is also about doing good stuff that will keep you. That will keep you in step with the Spirit. Romans 6.11, it goes on. Count yourself dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. You're not fighting this war with lust on your own. Jesus is with you. His Holy Spirit has been given to you. The Spirit that raised Him from the dead lives in you. Listen to Romans 8, verses 11 to 13. The Spirit of God who raised Jesus from the dead lives in you. And just as God raised Christ Jesus from the dead, He will give life to your mortal bodies by this same Spirit living within you. Therefore, dear brothers and sisters, you have no obligation to do what your sinful nature urges you to do. For if you live by its dictates, you will die. But if through the power of the Spirit you put to death the deeds of your sinful nature, you will live. You will live. So if you're struggling with this lust thing, I know the shame that comes along with that. I know the self-loathing and the feeling of powerlessness and the defeat. I know them because I've experienced them. But I just love the way verse 12 puts that. Just because you have this past does not mean that that has to be your future. You have no obligation to do what the sinful nature is leading you to do. If you do it, there's death in your future. Death of a marriage. Death of relationships. Death of true intimacy. All of that is there if you follow the desires of the sinful nature. But you're not obligated to do that. It doesn't have to be that way. The Spirit of the living God is within you. That's why it doesn't have to be that way. So we surrender this fight with lust into His hands. We say, I can't do this. Now, the Spirit has a weapon, according to Ephesians 6.17. It's the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. And that word, the Greek word for word in that verse is rima which means spoken word. So it's God's word spoken, an utterance, out out loud. And then you bring Galatians 3, 5 into this, and you say, does God give you his spirit and work miracles among you by the works of the law or by you believing what you heard? So when it comes to this lust thing, we will never live in victory if we're trying to do it in our own strength, if we're trying to obey the law, keep the boundaries up, you know, live wisely. If we just try to do that stuff, it's you're destined for failure. But, but because listen, to win, we need a miracle in our heart. We need a miracle. We need God's Spirit to do something, and that comes by hearing the Word of God in faith. So when these times of temptations come, you feel powerless, it's time to listen to the Word of God. Do that with an audio Bible. Um, you, can, you can memorize God's Word and speak it out loud back to yourself when, when you're going through those times. Listen to a, a, a message being preached. 
When temptation comes hard, find a way to hear the Word of God and hear it then with faith, surrendering to the power of the Holy Spirit so He can do a work in you. Now, one way that we can do this is with worship music. A lot of uh, songs that we sing, they're filled with Scripture. And so we're singing Scripture back to God. So when you're under temptation, start singing. (laughs) Start singing to God the songs that we sing here. Teach my song to rise to you when temptation comes my way. Galatians 5 says if we keep in step with the Spirit, the Spirit will keep us. We will not gratify the desires of the sinful nature. This is not our fight. We have been given the Spirit of the living God to fight the fight with sin. And we need to surrender that to Him. Without Him, we're goners. With Him, we have a fighting chance of eradicating adultery from our lives. I mean, that's just absolutely amazing. So anger, adultery, two big uglies in in our lives, in our world. And I know, I know that as we go back out into the world today, some of us are, are going to fall. Actually, all of us are going to fall. And we're going to be back in that place of failure and shame and back in that place of, you know, trying not to listen to the devil lie to us about our worth. You know, you just heard that message and you went and you said that or you did that. How, what, what kind of Christian are you? It's when we've got to remember the wonder of God's love. The wonder of God's love. Even when we fall, even in the act of falling, Jesus is right there with us. He never leaves us or forsakes us. He never gives up on us. It doesn't matter if you've gone to Him this morning and said, I need your forgiveness for this. And then you come back in the evening and you got to ask for the same thing. He doesn't say, what? It's not like that at all. He loves to pour out mercy on us. For the joy set before him, he endured the cross. What was the joy? The joy of pouring out mercy on people who cried out for it. He never leaves us. Never holds it against us. He's just by our side. Ready to pick us up when we fall. Ready to give us a cup of new mercy as we ask for forgiveness. How? That is amazing grace. That's who he is. That's what he does. And he can do that because of what he did. Dying for us on that cross. So I want to encourage you today. Don't give up. Don't give up. Are you pursuing a kingdom shine? Can you imagine a life without anger, without adultery? It's possible with God. And us cooperating with him and surrendering this fight into his hands. So we're going to celebrate the Lord's Supper together. So um, if, you, if you didn't get the elements on your way in, they're back there by the sound booth, but it looks like you might have gotten them. Um, but if you need them, go ahead and get them. And Pastor Randy's going to come and he's going to lead us through uh, this, this time. Jesus said, apart from me, you can do nothing. And I think sometimes we read that and say, well, apart from Jesus, I can do half as much or I can do a little less. No, apart from me, you can do nothing. 
because the other side of that is with me. You can do it. You can do whatever God has your focus on. My mother's name was uh, Salatin, and she grew up in Anderson, Indiana during the Depression years, and she was a part of a big family. And um, so, growing up myself in the 50s and 60s, um, there were a lot of Salatins and uh, some other names in there too, connected by by marriage and, and blood. And one of the things that we did is we would gather on holidays, particularly at uh, Thanksgiving and Christmas, to celebrate those those times. It's to celebrate and kind of remember that we were connected as family by marriage and blood. Jesus invites us to a holy day meal for all who are connected to him through marriage and blood. Through the blood of the Lamb, we have, those of us who are in him, have been made the bride of Christ. He is our husband and we are his bride as his his church. And so today, so today, with this bread and this cup, we we celebrate, we commemorate a family meal, God's family. And so if you are in Christ by faith, this meal is for you. Jesus put it in place to remind us that we are wholly dependent on his body and his blood represented by the, the bread and the cup for salvation from sin and death. We are wholly dependent upon him. And we are given this meal, this time to remember that and to depend again on him, to remind ourselves you know, that we can add nothing to it, that we can take nothing away from it, that he did it all for us. So that's what we're going to do today. Let me read the inst- words of institution from... Uh, from 1 Corinthians chapter 11. Paul wrote, For I received from the Lord what I also passed on to you. The Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for, for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after supper, he took the cup, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. For whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. And so that's what we're doing today. We're, we're remembering him. We're remembering that he has come, that he paid the penalty for our sins. We're remembering that he's coming again and that we observe this in the time in between. You know, this is, like I said, this is for you if you are in Christ, but this is also for you if today you want to make this your first step of faith and belief. This also is for you. So I will pray, and then I'm going to leave you to observe the Lord's Supper. Father, we give you thanks that you sent your Son to be our sacrifice for sin and our Savior from death. Jesus, thank you for going to the cross for us.
for suffering there, for being our substitute, for being all that we need, for giving us, Lord, what we needed in your mercy, of forgiveness and your righteousness. So, Lord, we remember you today. We remember what you've done. And we remember who we are in you and our brothers and sisters beside us also as we partake of this. In Christ's name, amen. Anger and adultery. May the Lord give you a step to take today, a step of faith, a step of obedience. I encourage you, follow where he leads you. And you'll be glad that you went. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we're so grateful for you and for Jesus and the life that he gives us. We're thankful for the Holy Spirit that lives within us. That same power that raised Jesus from the dead is within us, Lord. And we need that power uh, to shine through our lives, Lord. Lord, I need you today uh, to, to go out and live this life. And so as we go, we reminded that you go with us. Uh, to go out and, and do your work uh, in our, at, our, at our homes, in our neighborhoods, in our workplace. Uh, fill us up, Lord, with your spirit. Thank you for your wonderful, amazing grace. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Now all God's people said, Amen. Amen.